going to look here, we're going to read through the portion of John chapter 1 from verse 35 through the end so that we get the whole context of these last couple of days here. And uh, really, we're just going to be looking at the first half of it. But let's begin by reading from verse 35 of John chapter 1. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation the stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word this morning. May the Spirit enlighten us, teach us, correct us, and encourage us as we look to you pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we've come to the, the Gospel of John, and we're making our way through the Gospel of John. And as I study and prepare, there's a, a number of older commentaries I'll refer to. And, and some of those older commentaries often refer to the Apostle John as the evangelist. And he's not the only one. Sometimes when you read commentaries about you know, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, it'll be the same. They'll, they'll say the evangelist wrote or the evangelist said in reference to to John, and I think that is a great way of referring to him. Uh, I, I love when I read that, it encourages me because John, as he writes this for us, he is revealing to us good news. And that's what an evangelist does. An evangelist is one who proclaims the good news. And John declares this good news with clarity and with passion. He loves what he is writing, he loves who he is writing about. And when you read John's writings, you know exactly what he's living for. 
You know why he, he does what he does. It seems fitting then that because John proclaims this, and this with such passion and with such clarity, he proclaims it with, with joy that Jesus saves. And he proclaims not only that Jesus saves, but he proclaims throughout his whole life that because Jesus saves, Jesus changes lives. So it's more than just a, a moment, but it's, it's a life. We see it in the very words he says when he gives us his purpose. You know, he wrote these things so that we would believe. But not just that we would believe, but that we would have life in his name. And you can see it in his broader writings. So in the Gospel of John, we see him trying to present to us the, the great gospel of Jesus Christ about who Jesus is. And in his epistles, we find out what does that mean for life? What is it to live with Jesus as our life? He wants us to believe and to find life in him. Now, he's done this, and he's begun this process uh, of presenting the gospel, the good news to us, by firstly telling us about the, the transcendent glory and the transcendent nature of Jesus, going back to the very beginning of the gospel uh, of John, the, the one who is the word, and the word became flesh. And then he, he's connecting this transcendent, glorious, eternal God with the temporal by showing us these interactions with John the Baptist as he goes along. And so now as he, he does this, he brings us into these personal relationships. So we're beginning to see now as John moves from the, the glorious, eternal Christ coming to earth, we begin to see how this glorious, eternal Christ personally affects the lives of those he reaches that immortal God changes the lives of mortal people for eternity. At the heart of John's gospel, oh yes, it's about believing and it's about life, but the, at the heart of that, what moves him to those things, the heart of John's gospel is worship. John wants us to worship Jesus. It means we need to know who he is. We need to believe who he is so that we can worship him. He wants us to know Christ. So John is building that case, showing us who Jesus is, that Jesus isn't just an addition to life. As we, we will clearly see as we go through the Gospel of John that John is not trying to tell us that Jesus is someone you can add to your life but just keep living the way you want. John is telling us Jesus is not just an addition, but he is your life. He is everything to you. Believing Jesus changes everything. He becomes your life. And that's one of the things I love about John, is that he didn't get bored with Jesus. John is, was the youngest of the disciples when he met Jesus, and he was the last disciple, as far as the apostle, as far as we know, to, to die, at least as far as we know from, from church history, to die. He lived a long time with Jesus Christ. And to the very end... He loved Jesus. To the very end, he was in awe of Jesus and lived his life for Jesus. And John wants us to have that same awe. He doesn't want us just to know about Jesus. He wants us to be in awe of Jesus, to worship. So one of the ways that he does this is he gives us some personal encounters with Jesus. How does Jesus personally change a life. So in the text we've read this morning, here we meet the first disciples of Jesus Christ. 
we are first introduced to Andrew, and although he's not mentioned, it's almost definitely John, the other disciple here. Uh, and so we meet them as a result of Andrew and John coming to meet Jesus. Uh, Peter comes to meet Jesus. And then the next day, in the second part of what we read, Jesus comes in and Philip is brought into the picture. And as a result of Philip being brought in, we see Nathaniel, who in the other Gospels is known as Bartholomew. And he comes in. So these are the, the first disciples of Jesus. This is not their call to apostleship. So this is not when these men become apostles. This is when they become disciples of Jesus. So what we see here in these verses is we see the salvation of these men. This is when they become followers of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus draws people to himself, and that is one of the key thoughts of the Gospel of John, about Jesus drawing to himself. The details of this day seem indelibly marked on John. He tells us the time. He tells us the details. He remembers this day. Because this is the day his life changed. This is the day Andrew's life and Peter and Philip and Bartholomew all have their lives changed. So what happens when Jesus enters a life? I've simply called this sermon Come and See because twice that's what we're called to do here in this text. To come and see Jesus. We need to come to Jesus. Our text begins and it says, And the next day after John stood... Two of the disciples. So this is that series where the, John is giving us kind of a chronolo chronological step through a couple of days. Two days ago, we saw uh, John questioned by the Pharisees. And they're saying, who are you? And John says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not even close to him. The day before this, so in terms of John's time schedule, yesterday, is when he stands there and the disciples are around him and Jesus comes by and he presents Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this day he comes, and again, it, it appears this is towards the end of the day. He's been teaching, and his disciples are, are around him, and, and sometime, probably towards the end of the day, Jesus comes by, and he sees Jesus. And again, he points to Jesus, and he says, This is the Lamb of God. And he directs the attention again to Jesus. Today, though, we're told about the magnificent results of that testimony. When he says to his disciples around him, John the Baptist says, this is the Lamb of God, we see some magnificent results because this day, Andrew and John follow Jesus. And they take after Jesus. They are drawn to him. How did they find Jesus? How did John the Baptist, or John and Andrew, find Jesus? They found Jesus because John the Baptist pointed him out. John the Baptist said, there is the one you need to follow. There is the one who can save from sins. John the Baptist led them to him. He paved the way. John's ministry, which has been going for some months now, has been paved by, by John proclaiming and preaching repentance. Turn from your sins. And he has pointed the way of repentance to Jesus. So his, his purpose has been to lay that foundation. And so he's been saying, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sins. And you need to turn to Jesus. That has been what he's been trying to do. 
There is so much that we can learn from the simple and short ministry of John the Baptist. His message and his life was genuinely all about Jesus. Like genuinely and truly, he lived for Jesus. We hear this thought a lot today. We hear the, the statement bandied around through Christianity. It's all about Jesus or only Jesus. And we sing songs about it. And we, we talk about it. And the truth is that despite all of the words, it's not always true. For too many, Jesus is just a way to reach my true God. Jesus is someone I use to get what I want. Self, power, money, influence, whatever it may be. And the name of Jesus is simply abused for my own things and my own desires. But not John the Baptist. John the Baptist was truly, genuinely about Jesus. See, at this stage, Jesus is just about to begin his ministry. John's now is starting to taper off. At this stage, John has a big crowd. He has a lot of disciples following him. He has a name. He has influence. He has power in Israel at this time. He's no small dude. He may be odd and he may be out there, but he has influence, which is why the Pharisees are there saying, who are you? Why are you causing problems? He has influence. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus comes along, and when Jesus comes along, Jesus starts taking away his disciples. John is losing disciples to Jesus, and John is happy. John is glad that his sphere of influence is dwindling, and Jesus is growing. That makes him happy that Jesus is taking his disciples he was happy to let his disciples go to follow Jesus. Our role as disciple makers, our role as a church is to lead people to follow Jesus. Above all else, we are not here to build our kingdom. We're not here to build big buildings. We're not here to have great media empires. The WBBC kingdom should never exist. We're here to build Christ's kingdom. Our greatest achievement as individuals and our greatest achievement as a church is going to be about not about growing bigger but about growing broader. Reaching our neighbors and our neighborhood with the gospel. It's going to be about discipling our children to faithfully serve God in their generation so that they can teach the next generation to faithfully serve God. It's about losing people. We need to be prepared. We need no, not just be prepared. We need to be actively pursuing to lose people from our congregation to reach others, to follow Christ. We need to be preparing, working toward 
building the kingdom of Christ, not building our own kingdom. You know, we see the same attitude in Andrew. Andrew here, who is one of the first, and that's who we find in this first part. He comes and he follows Jesus. It tells us in verse 41 that after they, he and John had spent time with Jesus, it says that first he goes and finds Simon, his brother. Now, first could mean, it could mean a first importance, or it could mean first thing in the morning. Uh, I think it's probably first thing in the morning, but either way, it's the first thing that he does. The first thing he does, after he has come to meet Jesus, he goes out and he finds uh, his brother, Simon Johnson. Bar-Jonah means son of John, Johnson. So if you need a name, Peter's name is Simon Johnson. Jesus calls him Peter. And, you know, there's a lot to go about that, but Peter is what he will grow to be from Simon. But here's what makes this moment a remarkable moment in the life of Andrew, because Andrew and Peter, they're brothers. Eh? We are all out here, we've got relatives, we've got brothers or sisters, we know what the relationship is like. When we're adults, we know the character, we know what's going to happen. So Andrew knew that when he presented Jesus to Peter and Peter becomes a believer, he knew Peter was going to be the shining light and he was not. And so we see in every gospel, in everything that's written about the life of the disciples, from this moment, Andrew almost disappears while Peter rises. And Andrew doesn't care. Because it's not about Andrew. It's about Jesus. John the Baptist and Andrew show us something important about what it is to be a follower of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do or my influence or, or my pride. My life needs to be not about me, but about Jesus. And I need to be willing to disappear as long as Jesus is made known. And people follow Jesus. So just like John the Baptist and just like Andrew were pointing people to Jesus... We are to point people to Jesus. That is our responsibility. The movement of this passage from beginning to end, and the reason, well, we're not going to deal with the whole thing, but the reason I read through the whole thing is I want us to see the movement of passage from beginning to end. So the passage we read here begins, and of course, Jesus is at the center of all of it, but it begins at the beginning in verse 36 there with John the Baptist, uh, with his disciples around saying, look, there is Jesus. So John the Baptist points people to Jesus. The passage ends in verse 51, and Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, heaven, hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We'll talk about that more, more particularly next week, but this is what it's getting at. See, the connection between earth and heaven is Jesus. So the process, or the... the the movement of the passage is here. John the Baptist points people to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who connects us to God. That is our life. Our job is to point people to Jesus so that Jesus connects them to God. I can't connect them to God. Only Jesus can do that. How are people going to find Christ today? In this day, it was John the Baptist who pointed Andrew and John there. How are they going to do that today? You and me. 
in Romans chapter 10. This is perhaps a familiar passage to many of you. It's certainly a familiar passage to me. I come back to this often because it was, well, maybe I shouldn't tell you how many years ago it was. It was quite a few years ago as a teenager. I was sitting in this church. The chairs were a little bit ordered a little bit differently, but essentially I remember where I was sitting, um, almost where Anaya was, in, in that area over there where my family is this morning. And, and my dad was preaching on this passage in Romans 10. And it was this passage where it finally broke into my mind. You need to be preaching the gospel. I was sitting here in the same age as so many of you, and it finally dawned on me. God doesn't want you to be a pilot. God wants you to be something else. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says this. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Can you see the progress of these verses? Verse, verse 13. God is going to save people. He is saving people. Verse 14. How is God going to save people? By them hearing the gospel message. How are they going to hear the gospel message? Verse 15, by those that are sent. Now, sometimes we come to this verse, and particularly verse 15, and we think, well, we need to send people. D don't get this wrong. This is not about looking for somebody else to send. The ones who are sent there, how shall they hear except they be sent? Okay, that's all of us. We are all sent. This is what, what we just read in John chapter 20. As the Father sent me, so send I you. We are all sent. How are they going to hear? You and me. That's how they're going to hear. I believe that the Bible teaches the absolute sovereignty of God and salvation. But I also believe this. The Bible also teaches that God in his sovereignty has also determined how he will do that. And the how he will do that is by his people proclaiming the gospel. It is our duty. We've seen before that John the Baptist's life and his words testified of Jesus. Your purpose in this life is to give glory to God, to point people to Jesus. How do we do that? How do we live a life where I'm pointing people to Jesus? One of the things we know about John the Baptist is John the Baptist, he preached hard against sin and the misunderstandings that people had of God. But his message wasn't a message of condemnation, but repentance. His message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was a message of repentance. That is, it wasn't just a message of stop doing what you're doing. It was a message of turn to Jesus. That's what the message of repentance is. It's not just a message of stop. It's a message of turn. And if I turn, I stop. And that is our message. And here's where you know, John, John wasn't just telling people how, how bad 
they were. He was actively calling people to look at Jesus, to find forgiveness. The direction of his conversation was to Jesus. And here's where so many Christians, I think, get stuck, particularly in our, our modern, sort of divisive sort of environment. Our message becomes a message of moralism and not Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean by that and, and what this is. So, so we, we get stuck in the rut of defending and jumping on things and, and fighting for and arguing over things like homosexuality is bad, murdering babies is bad, evolution is wrong, and so on and so on. Pick a topic. And we battle and we argue and we, we talk about these things over and over again. And what we end up doing is we end up getting caught in pointless circular arguments. We will argue with people for days or months or years over whether something is right or wrong and trying to convince them that this is the moral way and this is not the moral way or this is the right way or the wrong way. Trying to prove morality. But if we talk about morality without talking about Christ, we have not presented a Christian message. The message is not stop. The message is turn. Look to Jesus. And that was John the Baptist's message. And that is our message. Morality can't save you. Is it true that the list of those things I mentioned before is right? That, that those things are, are bad and they are wrong? Yes, that's, that's true. But morality can't save you. Only Jesus can. And it's true for believers too. Christianity isn't just doing the right thing, following the right rules. Christianity is following Jesus. The result of John the Baptist preaching, and this is the point of all that. So after everything that John the Baptist says, the result of his preaching is Andrew and John follow Jesus. And that is the point of everything we do and say. Our duty, our mission, our calling is to get people to follow Jesus. To see Jesus and follow him. So seek him. In verse 37 of John chapter 1, our text here, it says, And the two disciples heard him speak. That is, they heard what John the Baptist said, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. There's a wonderful interaction here between Jesus and these two disciples. As they are drawn to follow Jesus, Jesus passes by and they follow him and, and Jesus senses or somehow sees that they're following him. And he doesn't just keep walking, he doesn't just ignore them and he doesn't wait for them to try and tag at him or irritate him. He turns to them. And he speaks to them and he encourages them. And he gently leads them closer to himself. 
He doesn't push them away. He feeds the flame of those smoldering branches, if you will. So he turns and he talks to them. When Jesus is exalted, he is followed. And this is what we see with John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist exalts Jesus and Jesus is followed. Jesus asks a question of them when he turns and as he's gently drawing them in, he asks a question. It's an intriguing question. It's a good question. Because notice that Jesus doesn't say, who are you looking for? Or who are you seeking? He says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? That's an important question. Jesus wants to know, why are you following me? What do you want from me? What do you want from Jesus? What are you looking for in Jesus? It's a good question for us. What are you looking for in Jesus? For many people, what they're looking for in Jesus is meaning, significance, or purpose. Maybe we're looking to Jesus and looking at Jesus because we want religion and what religion offers or self-importance. Maybe companionship we want from Jesus. Maybe we want deliverance. What are you looking for in Jesus? Maybe acceptance by God. To feel good. Maybe you're looking to Jesus because you want blessing. But it's a good question. What are you looking for from Jesus? What do you want from him? Now these things, you know, to, to be delivered from sin, to, to have meaning and purpose and to have companionship, these are, these are good things. But if you're here for those things, you're here for the wrong reason. If you're looking to Jesus for those things, you're looking to Jesus for the wrong reason. Because that's idolatry. Because I'm looking to Jesus to give me something I want. That's not Jesus. That's something else. So the same question applies for us today. Why are you here? What do you want from Jesus? The answer they give is just as good as the question. So when Jesus asks you, what are you looking for? Their answer is essentially this. You. We want you. Say, where are you staying? We want to spend time with you. It's probably about four o'clock in the afternoon. There's different ways you can interpret the time here, depending on how John is using time. But say it's probably late in the afternoon, so about four o'clock in the afternoon, um, I think, by, by the reckoning here. So this is the time when the day is closing. The travelers are starting to looking for somewhere to lodge. Everybody's sort of winding down the day to prepare because it's almost six, the, the light's going to get dim. And so they're, they're needing somewhere to stay. If it's four o'clock in the afternoon, they're saying, Jesus, where are, you, where are you going? And Jesus says, come with me. And it's likely, it seems as the passage progresses, that they spend the night with Jesus wherever he's staying. It doesn't say, and there's no way for me to know, but I think, I think they stayed up all night. Imagine if you had Jesus there to answer your questions. I think they stayed and they, they talked. Clearly, Jesus talked with them and spent time with them and answered their questions. 
Why are we so often looking for what we can get out of Jesus instead of just looking for Jesus? We've been using this phrase on Wednesday night, talking about prayer. It's a phrase which comes out of the Psalms. It says, seek God's face before we seek his hand. That is, seek God first before you seek what God does. And here, Andrew and John are doing that. They want Jesus, not just what Jesus can do. If you're here and you're struggling, struggling with sin or maybe the effects of sin in your life, just fixing those problems isn't going to be the answer you need. Doing the right thing, following the right program isn't going to be the help you hope it to be. It's not going to make everything better. Why are you wanting to change? Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to do right. But don't get the cart before the horse. Doing right, even as a believer, is empty if it isn't firstly for Jesus. Love what is right. Love what is good. Love doctrine. But love Jesus more. See, to love Jesus first will move you to know him more truly. That's doctrine. To love Jesus first will motivate you to live right. To love Jesus first will empower you to witness. All these other things we do are good, but never if they come before my love for Jesus. Jesus will drive me to what is good. Jesus will motivate me to what is good. Jesus will put me in awe of himself, and I will desire what he desires. That is why we're not trying to make good people here. And as pastor, I, I do not want a church of good people. I want this to be a church of godly people. Do you see the difference? I don't want people here who just want to do the right thing. But people here who want Jesus. Who are motivated and in awe of our Jesus. Because Jesus and not rules will change your life. Because only Jesus has the power to truly change you. That's how Jesus responds to their interests. Say, Jesus, we, we want you. And Jesus says, come on, let's go. Let's talk. Jesus isn't afraid of your questions. Jesus isn't afraid of your examinations. He isn't afraid of being put under the microscope and examined and tested. He's not afraid of that. Jesus isn't trying to trick you. And neither are we. Jesus isn't trying to drive you away, but draw you closer. It's our sin. It's our pride that separates us from God. It's our sin and our pride which makes us run from him. So it's not God that's running from us. It's us that's running from God. 
We're the ones who are afraid of the answers, not Jesus. John and Andrew left that conversation, we're told here, absolutely convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. Absolutely convinced after spending time getting to know Jesus that he was who he said he was. Now, they didn't fully comprehend what that meant, but they knew they would find out, and they believed. So this morning, I don't know why you're here today. I can't possibly know that, but Jesus does. Jesus knows why you're here today, and the answer to whatever it is that brought you here whether it's, it's a, a, a struggle with sin or temptation or trial or difficulty or whether it's the desire for worship, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever it is that brought you here this morning, the answer to that is Jesus and only Jesus. It's sin that burdens you in guilt and shame. And no matter what it is, no matter what that sin is or what that problem is, only Jesus can forgive that and wash it away. Is it faithfulness that you struggle with? Brother or sister, trying harder isn't going to fix it. It'll just make it worse. Your goal should be to look at Jesus. See Jesus and he will move you in worship. See, that's why John's gospel, his focus is for us to be in awe, to worship, because when we worship, we find where we're meant to be. We find our satisfaction. Believer, this is our life. This is our message. Jesus. Genuinely, only Jesus. That's what makes Christianity unique to every other religion. Jesus is not asking you to do anything just look to him. And as we look to him, everything changes. Our life becomes different. Our motivations become different. Our, our empowerment becomes different. Jesus is what we need. Do we need to talk about sin? Yes, we do. Do we need to pursue a pure life? Yes, we do. See, our message is called the gospel for a reason. It's good news. It's good news that Jesus forgives sin. It's good news that Jesus gives life. It's good news that Jesus empowers us to live for him. So let's be like John the Baptist and let's be like Andrew. Not worried about our own legacy. Not worried about our own kingdoms. Let's live to lead people to Jesus so that people will follow Jesus. When we lead people to Jesus, he will meet their need. When we come to Jesus, even as believers, he will satisfy our hearts. Come and see Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at your word and to glean some lessons from the lives of the saints. 
Help us to remember, dear God, that our life is for you, that you are our everything. Lord, to be a people, to be a church that points to Jesus above all other things. That genuinely makes disciples, not just converts. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that you would open their eyes, that they may be able to see you with clarity. They would be able to see the salvation that you offer and draw near. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. We thank you for Jesus. That it's in his name we pray.